This message was presented through a partnership between GYC and GYC Europe at the 2012 conference in Linz, Austria. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Good morning, everyone. Oh, that was really weak. Some of you are still sleeping. Come on. Good morning. Happy Monday. All right. Once again, it's a pleasure to have uh, so many of you. Um, now, let me just see by show of hands, how many of you were in yesterday's workshop? Can I see your hands? Okay. In my workshop? Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. I want to repeat some of the things that we saw yesterday, okay? Because I believe, um, actually, the, the message is important. Uh, that's my personal belief. And also... Uh, because they asked me to repeat it, so <laughs> that's why I'm going to repeat it, all right? Um, so once again, before we start, can we just have a word of prayer? Can we stand? Yes? Okay. Father in heaven, we thank you and we praise you for another blessed opportunity to be together, Lord. We did not come here to hear a man, but we came here to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Lord, we want to be fully prepared for what is coming in our direction, Lord. We want to be sure of the Lord and Savior that we have, and we want to be sure that we are following the steps of our Lord Jesus Christ in everything that we do, Lord, specifically about the Sabbath day, Lord. Help us to be assured of its meaning, especially for me as an individual, for my personal decision to follow Jesus Christ, Lord. So once again, Bless us with your visit, with your Holy Spirit at this moment. Bless my lips, as the words that will come out will be the ones that you have prepared from your throne of grace. Because we ask in the name of the one that never fails, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Please be seated. <clears throat> the Sabbath. I believe that we have heard already many things about the Sabbath, and one of the things that the Seventh-day Adventist Church actually teaches about the Sabbath is that it is a memorial, right? Have you ever heard that? Yes? A memorial. A memorial of what? Creation. Creation. Very good. Now, my passion about the, the Sabbath has increased because... When I came to the Adventist church, just prior to that, I was visiting several churches, as probably some of you actually can relate to that, in search of what we call the truth. I want to know the truth. I want to be sure that I'm following the truth. I want to be sure that I'm following what the, what the, the Lord actually expects from me and, and what the Bible says. And I remember that at the time, this was already around 13 years ago, um, I was visiting several churches, and um, specifically I was visiting a, a charismatic church, a Pentecostal church. And I remember vividly in my mind that the very last time that I went uh, to that church was on a Sunday where they actually uh, insisted very much for me to come uh, on that Sunday because they knew that I was struggling with some issues on the Bible, specifically the Ten Commandments, and even more specifically about the Fourth Commandment. And then when I arrived there, I could understand why, because the preacher, a special guest actually they had invited, was talking specifically about, imagine what, the Sabbath day. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Well, I don't say amen because um, actually what he said 
was helpful for my decision, but I don't think it was helpful to glorify the Lord. And let me uh, tell you why. Um, the theological bases that they presented were not actually very solid uh, in, in themselves. Um, they presented several things, um, but from, from the half of the sermon until the end, and we were talking about, about, about the sermon that lasted for around one hour, basically the man started screaming, um, always repeating the same phrase with the sound of drums and guitar and so on. And what he was always saying is that it was not on Friday and it was not on Sabbath or Saturday, but it was on Sunday that Jesus was rose again. Have you ever heard that? Yeah? Okay. So the man really screamed this for a long, long time, and then people were coming to the front and all that. He would touch them in the foreheads. People would just faint like that and so on. And I was struggling in my seat because, as I told you, I was really in search for the truth. And I was praying that the Lord would actually show me exactly what he wanted me to do. What he wanted me actually um, to do in that same specific situation. You want me to, to answer to this, to this same appeal? You want me to go to the front? I'll go, but show me. You've got to tell me that, what you want me to do. And um, by that time, I was surrounded by some of the, of the, the elders of the church and other people. Uh, I had around 10 people that came to me, surrounded me. And um, if you've been there, you know that there's a little bit the idea that the Holy Spirit is almost like an electric force, that if you touch someone, you can pass it through. And so they started to touch me in order to pass the Holy Spirit to see if I would have some reaction and so on. And they touched me and they touched me and touched me more and more. Are you feeling something? Yes, I feel something, but it's not the Holy Spirit. I think it's your hand, actually. But, you know, and they kept, you know, touching me and, and the Holy Spirit never said anything. Actually, I had a very interesting experience at that moment. I opened my, my Bible, and just by chance, I don't think it was by chance anyway, I think the Holy Spirit was there, yes, guiding that specific moment. My Bible opened in Exodus 20, and my eyes just felt in, in verse 8, remember the Sabbath day. And I said, okay, Lord, I understand. And I left in that moment, and I never came back again. The Sabbath day. As we in, the, in our church, we've heard many times, it is, yes, a memorial of creation, but I believe that the Lord wants us to understand even more than that. Now, talking specifically about God's creation, God in his infinite mercy and love, he provided ways for us to know who we are, and that is the first point that we're going to see, okay? Open your Bibles, please, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Verses 26 and 27. If you're there, please say amen. 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 Verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let him have what? What do you have there? Dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Verse 27. So God created in his own image, in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Now, an interesting detail in verse 27 is that Moses here is using a little bit of, uh, of, uh, of poetry in order to underline something for us not to forget. Notice, so God created man in his own image, 
In the image of God created he him. So somehow I believe that God really doesn't want us to forget that we have a blueprint of our creator. Amen? Now, in verse 26, there's a very interesting detail there. God said, let us make man in our image after our what? After our what? After our what? Likeness. Okay? And right after it says, and let them have what? Dominion. Very important word. Now, dominion is a mental attitude. So it means that God is not just giving us a physical portrait of who he is, but more than that, he is branding us in our character, in our personality, with something that is also the image of God. Notice what Ellen G. White, she says, Patriarchs and Prophets, page 45. Man was to bear God's image. Man was to bear God's image, both in outward resemblance and in character. Did you follow that? Let me repeat that one. Both in outward resemblance, but also in character. So the character that God gave to Adam and Eve was also a likeness or an image of what the Creator, our God, is also. We can already make some links here about the seal of God and so on and on when we talk about the creation, the Sabbath, and the seal of God. But hold on your horses, right? Now, that image was to be kept as a sign already of God's authority. An image that gives us a sense of belonging, a sign for his sons and daughters. Because, let me give you an example. Those who are parents, when the baby is born, our friends come and all that, and they look at the baby, and they start seeing, oh, the nose, it looks like the mother. But the ears are more, more like the father, right? Have you ever had that, that kind of experience? Come on, right? So they try to see the similarities, okay, between the baby and the parents, right? And it's very interesting because look at what we're, we're going to find here now in Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah 43. If you're there, say amen. If you're not there, you can say mercy. <laughs> mercy from me also, huh? Amen, brother. Okay, Isaiah chapter 43. We're going to read a couple of verses, verses 6 and 7, okay? As I told you, their image that should be kept as a sign already of God's authority for his children, okay? 43, verses 6 and 7, it says, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from far, and my daughters from the end of the earth, even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory, I have formed him, yea, I have made him, okay? Always the fact that God puts forward the fact that you carry my name, I call you by your name because I've created you. I made you. Actually, it's a very interesting word that you have there because it gives you the idea of a kind of a relationship with the creation. It's not just the fact that he created, that he made, but he actually entered into a relationship with his creation. Can you say amen to that? Now, his creation should provide a clear blueprint of two very important aspects about God. First of all, his loving character. 
and secondly, his authority. And for that, come with me to the book of Revelation, okay? Still for this introductory part, book of Revelation, the very last book in the whole Bible. And chapter 4. Chapter 4 and verse 11. Amen? All right. Revelation 4, verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For or because? For thou hast created how many things? All things. For what? For your own pleasure, they are and were created. So they were created, they exist, they subsist for your own pleasure. Can you identify the mark here that actually gives us a clear idea that God did just, just created just to say, oh, I've created things, I'm the best. He created for his own pleasure because he wants to have a deep relationship with his creation. That's why he brands it with his own authority and character. Okay? So that's why, as we saw just, in the, just, just before, that this provides us a clear blueprint of two important aspects. His loving character, because it was feared for his own pleasure. And secondly, his authority. Thou art worthy to receive glory and honor and power. So, indeed, the creation reveals God's unique characteristics. And those characteristics define God as the unique God that truly deserves worship as such. And once again, Jeremiah. If you care to go there with me also. Jeremiah chapter 10. Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 12. Amen. Now, if I'm showing all of these verses to you, it's for the following. Just before we read actually this, this, this verse. When you present the Sabbath to someone, explain to that person how important it is for us to remember who made us. And not just because you're saying it, but because the Bible tells us and shows us that God really wants us to understand that we are His creation. And that He is our creator, obviously, right? Okay, chapter 10 and verse 12. He has made the earth by His power. He has established the world by His wisdom. He has stretched, stretched out the heavens by his discretion or intelligence. Beloved, somehow I believe that God really wants us to understand that he created all things. And when you present the Sabbath to someone, make the person understand that unless we understand why God is giving that to us, because he created, the Sabbath wouldn't make any sense. That's the first point. But we'll see a second point later on, okay? His power, his wisdom... His intelligence. It's all about him, about God. It has nothing to do with, with Moses. It has nothing to do with the people of Israel, with the Jews. Nothing. The creation has nothing to do with any of those points. It's all about him. And Jeremiah makes it very clear. So that's why Paul, for example, he makes it very straight that it's easy to perceive our God in this same aspect. Now, notice the kind of language that Paul is going to use in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. You know this text, but let's read it. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. 
Amen? All right. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. Notice the language. For the invisible things of Him from the, from the, the creation of the world are clearly seen. Clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made even by His eternal power and Godhead so that they are what? What? What do you have there? Without? Without excuse. What does it mean to be without excuse? What does it mean? What does it mean not to have any excuse? In simple words, no justification. That's, that's clearly the meaning of it. There is no reason for me to present, no justification for me to, to say, I couldn't see, I couldn't understand. God made it very clear. And Paul uses this hard language here, okay, to say exactly that if you can see, there's nothing else to, to, to show you. God provides every single opportunity for us to truly understand who God is and his authority over us because he created us. His power, His wisdom, and His intelligence. Now, God Himself, of course, He demonstrated an extreme urgency in keeping the truth of creation vividly before the eyes of the whole world. Not just the specific people, but the whole world. And we see that same urgency in the fourth commandment. So let's read now the fourth commandment. Exodus chapter, what? 20? From verse... Eight on. Amen? Now, notice that during that day, there shouldn't be anything to distract us from the focal point. And the central point is, we are God's creation. And even the manner of how to keep it is stated in the commandment. So let's notice this already in the beginning in verse 8, okay? Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, you've heard a lot of things about the fact that this is the only commandment that starts with the word remember and so on. And indeed, this is a fact. The word remember in this specific uh, commandment kind of sets the temperature of the importance of this same commandment. The only one that starts by remember. Now, one interesting detail is the fact that the word remember is the, word, the Hebrew word zakar that means a mark. Like saying mark in your calendar. Don't you ever forget the importance of this same day. Mark it. And of course, already our minds are connecting with the mark of the beast, the seal of God, and so on, and so on, and so on. And yes, it makes sense. But specifically, it's telling you not to forget the Sabbath day, to keep it apart, to set it apart in your week, um, in your week, and in your rhythm of, of life. Okay. So, and this is the mark that Satan is already opposing and will reinforce with the mark of the beast opposed to the seal of God, obviously. Now, the following verse, verse 9. Six days shall thou labor and do all thy work. I like this part of the, of the commandment. Because 
It's telling us that when we talk about remembering the Sabbath day, it's not just telling us to remember a period of 24 hours a week. It's not just telling you to actually remember the Sabbath day just five minutes before sunset. Probably you already had a little bit this kind of experience. But the fact is that it's telling you that during every single day of the week, you should be preparing yourself, everything in your life, in order to be able to live that same day. We work in order to have a salary in the end of the month. That's the, the cultural or the social mindset, obviously. But the Bible actually puts it differently. It tells you, you work every single day in order to be able to live that day with your Lord, knowing that you've prepared all things in order to be with Him on Sabbath. Isn't that amazing? In the same way we spend our time here in this earth, in order to be with Jesus one day. So actually, already here, we see a sort of a preparation for us to truly understand the, the meaning of preparing myself to be with Jesus. To be with Jesus. Six days shall thou labor and do all thy work. Now verse 10. Follow this. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it thou shalt do, not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, nor your cattle, nor even the stranger that is within your gates. Now, about the centrality of that day, notice that this. God doesn't want anything to distract you from Him. Nothing nor no one should represent an obstacle for you to enjoy that same day with your creator. Now, nothing that is under your control. God is not asking you something that is completely uh, difficult and so uh, impossible to, to accomplish. He, he asks you to actually control every single detail of your life in order to be with him. Verse 11. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Beloved, this very last verse in this commandment is what I call the signature model of God, revealing to us why this is to be kept, His authority, His character, right in detail, all of them becoming an identity for the Lord Creator. Notice that he doesn't end up with any doubts saying that, well, maybe the people of Israel, maybe the Jews, maybe Moses. No, 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 no. The Sabbath, because the Lord created everything. That's it. Already when you present the commandment, underline this point. Because once this becomes clear in the minds of people, it's easy for them to understand that there's something else in the commandment about this commandment that they didn't understand so far. Or maybe because they weren't taught that way. Okay? Now, someone tried to take God's place, and we know that. And I would really like you to understand the following. The only way to try to take God's place was to possess God's attributes or 
to change the authority of the Sabbath. Okay? Notice how. Let's start in Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. Let's only read verses 13 and 14. Amen? I can still hear a few pages turning. Amen now? Yeah? Okay. Isaiah 14, verses 13 and 14. Thou hast said in your heart. Of course, he's talking here about the fall of Lucifer. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mouth of the congregation in the sides of the north. 14. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Now, remember this. Don't lose track of this point. The bottom line in the mind of Lucifer, because exactly, that's exactly what we have here. It's a portrait of the mindset of Lucifer. The bottom line here is what? I will be like the Most High. Did you get that? The bottom line is exactly this. I will do this. I will do that. I will do that. But the, the most important thing for Lucifer was exactly to what? To be exalted as the Most High. To be exalted as the Most High. Now, don't lose track of this once again, all right? There's three important elements, once again, that the Sabbath commandment brings to our existence. First of all, who is God? The creator of all things. Secondly, who am I? I'm the result of his creative power. For his own pleasure. Remember that? For his own pleasure. And third, God counts on me to maintain that relationship by keep remembering the Sabbath. Now, if Satan's ultimate goal is to take God's place, isn't it obvious that he would do something to destroy his power signature that is reminding men of their own identity, the identity of God, and men's affiliation to the Creator God? It's obvious, isn't it? And once people understand this, their mind kind of starts ticking. Especially when you're talking about with, with charismatic people. This is very important for them. Because they see all these manifestations around them and they see actually preachers in the, in the front actually challenging the, the enemy and so on, 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 on. Forget about that. Bring them to the focus of what Satan's goal, ultimate goal, really is. And his ultimate goal is not real just to appear on television, but is to be exalted as the most high. And for such, he will also use those means. Those instruments, let's say. Now, the fact is that this is exactly what he's been doing. Using human instrumentalities, branding them with his own purposes and character. If you come now with me to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 13. We're going to read the second verse, just the second part of it. Revelation 13 and verse 2, okay? The second part, amen? All right, follow with me. And the dragon, are you following? Yes? And the dragon 
gave him his power, his seat, and what? And great what? And great what? Authority. Now, a successful plan to subvert the loyalty of, of people would take a masterpiece of a satanic plan to put into practice. All of these in order to say, to be able to say, I also have my servants. So if we branded a certain power, political, religious power, with his authority, with his, with his character, let's already say it this way, what is it that he's really trying to do? Romans chapter 6, verse 16 gives us the answer. In the words of Paul, Romans chapter 6, And verse 16. Amen? Know you not, says Paul. In other words, don't you know that to whom you will yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey. Whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Now, beloved, this part, this part of the study, I'm not encouraging you just to give it right away. But in order for you to study the Bible at this, in this topic, you also need to have an understanding that of, of what is actually happening in backstage, behind the curtains. That when you present this issue, it's also an issue that has to do with eternal life. The Bible says clearly in the words of Paul that to whom we obey, the, that same entity, person, we become servants or slaves. Now, there's an easy yet, yet deep way for us to understand this. Still in Revelation chapter 13. Let's just go back there for a second. Revelation 13 And verse 4. Amen? Notice carefully what John is saying in this verse. And they worshipped whom? The dragon. Who's the dragon? Who's the dragon? How do you know? Revelation 12, verse 9. Okay? Let's just go there for a second. Well-known text. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. All right? Coming back to Revelation 13, verse 4. And they worshipped the dragon. The dragon is Satan, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Notice that the Bible is not telling us that there's a group of people that is just bowing down to the devil because he's presenting to them as the devil. But it's telling us that behind the scenes, the devil is working in order to pursue people, to uh, invite them to have a worship, not to God's law or to what God actually uh, invites us to do, but to something else. But John is telling us that by doing that, People are not honoring 
God, but they are honoring the dragon. They are worshiping the dragon. That's why, and now we can understand why Paul actually says that. It makes sense. To whom you obey, you become servants or slaves of that same entity. So, here's the thing. Keeping the Sabbath. God's mandate, God's commandment makes us God's servants. But, keeping a different day of the one that God actually told us to do makes us what? Makes us what? Follow this one with me. Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12. This is a text that we Adventists, we know by heart, but yet, let's review it. Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse 12. Amen? Moreover, also I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them. Why? That they might know that I am the Lord that does what? That sanctifies them. Okay? So once again, if the Sabbath is a sign between God and His people, let me already be straight with you. Sunday keeping is a sign between whom? Understand this. Satan understood that by attacking the Sabbath, he creates confusion in the minds of people. Everything becomes a question. Doubts arise in the minds of people. And actually, we see that also in the book of, uh, of, of Ezekiel, just a couple of chapters um, after this one, chapter 22, okay? Chapter 22 and verse 26. If you're there, once again, please say amen. amen. Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 26. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and the profane. The, the direct consequence, beloved, of doing this, of breaking God's law, is exactly not being able to make the difference between the holy and the profane. Continue. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean. Is that what happens today in our world? Yes or no? Obviously. And have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. Beloved, here's the problem. Once you start questioning about one single point of the law of God, everything becomes questionable. A lot of people actually, you know, they have been, um, I gave Bible studies to a lot of people, and especially people who do not have the same understanding that we have of the law of God, they question all these things. Why? Even because there's one single commandment that they are breaking, and usually it's a Sabbath day, the rest becomes questionable. Clean, unclean, Pure, unpure, what is the difference? Doesn't have, that doesn't make any difference as long as I have Jesus in my heart. Have you ever heard that before? Yes, okay. As long as I have Jesus in my heart, I can do whatever I want. I'm always saved. But what is it that really God expects from us as creatures and making Him the Creator? That is the problem. Because when the Sabbath is broken, 
already the, the identity of God as creator, as redeemer even, we'll get there, okay? As the one that sanctifies us, okay, is questioned, is forgotten about. That's not by chance that the commandment starts by remembering, mark that day, don't forget that same day, don't forget the same commandment. Now, if in the center of the battle that we are talking about here is the identity of God, we can understand better the strategy of the enemy. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, that Jesus was tempted in all things. How many things? All things. In the same way that we are. Interesting language. Actually, let's go there. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. Amen? Yes. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Okay? Hebrews 4, 15. A beautiful verse, an important, an important text also. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Yet without sin. Now, was Jesus also tempted at this level in terms of identity? Yes, of course. You want to go there? Matthew chapter 3. Follow this one. You can build the whole sermon out of this, out of this point. Matthew chapter 3. Verses 16 and 17. Matthew 3, 16 and 17. Amen? Talking about the baptism of Jesus. Notice. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the, of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. Verse 17. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Notice that the beginning of Jesus' ministry is marked by a tremendous evidence of His identity and mission. There was no way to deny it. And how does that happen? By having the anointing of the Holy Spirit and having a declaration of the Father that He was the Son. In other words... His identity was being confirmed, and with it, his mission. Beloved, when we call ourselves Seventh-day Adventists, we're just not just telling everyone that we are people that keep the Sabbath day, but we become reminders in the path of those that meet us, pointing them that they have a creator and that they are creation. In the same way that the Sabbath was there to remember people, if you call yourself a Seventh-day Adventist, God asks you exactly to be a, a reminder in the life of people. That's why we also have a mission. And where is that mission? Revelation 14. Can you go there with me, please? Revelation chapter 14 and verse 7 
Let's also read verse 6, okay? Amen? And I saw another angel or a messenger fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach it unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. Interesting that last night, Pastor Ashwick, he told us that the gospel was whom? Jesus Christ, right? And he's telling us here that there's an angel flying in the midst of heaven, okay, with the everlasting gospel. Verse 7, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come. And worship. Worship Him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Beloved, this is already a text that links Jesus as the center of the creation or the center of the Sabbath commandment. And we're going to understand that in just a little second. Now, Satan understood perfectly the importance of the event, Jesus' baptism. He clearly understood what was taking place. If there was one that really understood what was happening in that precise moment in the waters of Jordan, it was Satan. That's why he's going to meet Jesus in the desert, right after his baptism. And do you remember what was the very first temptation? What was it? What was it? Anyone remembers? Yes, the bread. Okay? Now let me suggest to you that just before the bread, there's also another temptation. Come there with me. Matthew. Chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Let's read. Yeah, let's start in, in verse 3. All right? Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 3. Amen? Okay. And when the tempter came to him, okay, we are in the desert at the, at the moment, okay? And when the tempter came to him, he said, what did he say? If you are the Son of God. Are you following? Satan, did, did Satan knew who, who, who Jesus was? Yes or no? Did he have any doubt in his mind? No, of course not. But he starts the very first temptation by saying, if you are really the Son of God, if you are the Son of God. You know why? Because Satan understood that if he could make crumble down the identity of Jesus, the whole goal of salvation was at stake. It couldn't happen anymore. Jesus had to be confirmed in his identity and mission, and that's why he went through baptism. And right after that, Satan, understanding perfectly the importance of this event, is going to come to him and say, if you are really the Son of God. Wait a second. Don't you think that he heard the voice of the Father? Actually, Ellen White, she confirms this. But anyway, don't you think that Satan heard loud and clear the voice of the Father confirming who that one is? Of course he knew. He knew the prophecies. He knew. He was sure of that. He knew everything about it. And he was there as a witness to know exactly who Jesus was and his mission. That's why now he comes to the desert. And he's going to tempt Jesus, first of all, about his own identity. And with it, his own 
mission. You know what? If there's something that Jesus has done until the end, is to hold on to his identity. And his identity was not just the fact that he was sent in order to save, uh, uh, the, the, to save the, the human race, but also the fact that he was the creator in the beginning, and that's why he had to come to die for us. And now, interesting enough, is the fact that Satan is going to do this twice, okay? The first, first one, we already saw that, okay, in verse 3. And when he, the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread, okay? And then, if you jump to verse 5, Then the devil took him up into the holy city and, sent, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, verse 6, and said unto him, If you are the Son of God, cast yourself down, and so on, done, done, done. Interesting, isn't it? Somehow, Satan insists in what, on what he understood was the most important thing here. By putting, or to, by questioning the identity of Jesus Christ. If you are the Son of God. And the proof of this is that at the third temptation, he's not going to say it anymore. But he's going to try to exchange places with the Creator. And we're going to see how important this is. Follow this, the, the, the reading of this. Okay? In verse 8, the same text. Matthew 4 and verse 8. Again the devil took him up into an exceeding high mountain, showed him all the, the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and said unto him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Can you see what's taking place here? You see... If there's something that Satan never accepted was the fact that he's only a creature. Only a creature. Only a creature. And at this moment, he's inviting Jesus to actually change places with Jesus. Remember, what was the greatest goal of, of Satan? To be like the most high. And at this moment, he has a major opportunity to tempt Jesus exactly at this level. Now, you bow down, you become the creature, and I become the creator. Never. That's why at this moment, the conversation ceases. There's no, nothing else to be said and done. Jesus always quoting the scripture. I always found that interesting. But anyway, that's a, a, different, a different topic. This was the top blasphemy. And at this moment, Satan comes to the point of offering a deal to Jesus where he would renounce his identity and offer it to Satan. That's why Jesus demands him to leave, and there's nothing else to be discussed about. Now, applying this to the Sabbath commandment, it's going to help us to understand the importance of it. The days that we are living specifically, beloved, are days where people are forgetting who they are, their own identity. And I believe, actually, there's a deep connection here between the... The quantity of cases of, of depression around us and actually the lack of identity in them. Notice what the spirit of prophecy says. During the Christian dispensation, the great enemy of man's happiness has made the Sabbath of the fourth commandment an object of special attack. Satan says, I will work at cross purposes with God. I will empower my followers to be set aside God's memorial, the seventh day Sabbath. And thus I will show the world that the day sanctified and blessed by God has been changed. 
that they shall not live in the minds of people. Notice this one. I will obliterate the memory of it. I will place in its stead a day that does not bear the credentials of God, a day that cannot be assigned between God and His people. I will lead those who accept this day to place upon it the sanctity that God placed upon the seventh day. Now, many ask you this. Maybe you've heard this question before. Does the keeping of the Sabbath have anything to do with my salvation? Am I going to hell or heaven depending if I was keeping or not the Sabbath day? Have you ever heard this question before? Nobody? Oh, okay, all right, all right. Beloved, before I even give you, give you a straight answer, let's see what the Bible tells us about this. Matthew 12, verse 8, a very short verse that you should have in your mind, memorized, okay? Matthew 12, verse 8. What does it say? Let's go there. Matthew 12 and verse 8. You can actually start a Bible study already in this same verse. Okay? What does it say? Verse 8. Amen? Amen. For the Son of Man... Can you read it with me? For the Son of Man is Lord even of... The Sabbath day. Jesus identifies Himself as the Lord of the Sabbath. He declares to be at the center of the fourth commandment. And at this point, it should already be easy for us to understand this. Because we can easily find the connection between Jesus and the action of creation. So once we start with this, show people that Jesus is not just our Redeemer, but He was also our Creator. Okay? Start with, with John chapter 1. Let's go there. Let's review John chapter 1, okay? John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Amen? And it says the following. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2. The same was in the beginning with God. Verse 3. All things, how many things? All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jump to verse 10 now. Verse 10, John 1, 10. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. From this text, you jump to Hebrews chapter 1. Okay? Hebrews chapter 1. Verses 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Amen? God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in the time past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto, unto us by His Son, notice, whom He has appointed here of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Notice the fact that it's not just saying the world, but it's a plural. The worlds. 
So it means that Jesus was not just the creator of our world, but also of different worlds. And that already puts Jesus at a different level. And then you take people to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Okay? There's a lot of texts, but these, I believe, are the most important ones and easier to understand. Colossians chapter 1. And if this was not clear enough, notice how Paul is going to write this one. Okay? Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Amen? All right. Now, notice this text. This, this is one of my favorites. You can apply these, these texts in, actually in several uh, situations, not just about the Sabbath day, but also especially if you are talking with people that have doubts about the divinity of Jesus Christ and all that. Okay? For by him were all things created, notice, that are in... Okay, let's repeat that one. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, all right? For by him were all things created that are in heaven, heaven that are in visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. You remember the text that we read in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11? Things were created by his, for his own pleasure. And once again, you found here, all things were created by him and for him. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Now, the interesting thing is that, actually, this is just a, a curiosity. The, the, the wording here in verse 17, actually, in the original, means to hold things together. He's the one that makes things subsist and holds things together. It's not just the fact that he created things in the past, but he's the one that makes things exist and subsist even today. All right? So, at this point, I believe it should be already clear that the Sabbath is a memorial of God's singular creative power, but it's a memorial of Jesus Christ because he is the creator of all things. Now, at this point, and just before the break, bear with me just for a second. At this moment, you have an opportunity to make a turning point in the way that you present the Sabbath. Why? We as Seventh-day Adventists, we are very good, we are the best, I have to say, in presenting facts, in presenting arguments, and so on. But the Sabbath, beloved, I invite you to present it also in the perspective of an experience with your, with your Savior. An experience of salvation, even. Now, wait a second. How can we do that? Okay? Bear with me in, in this one. Okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17. Okay? A very well-known text. <clears throat> One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Amen? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. And it says the following. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's what? A new creation or a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What does it mean? Here's the beauty of this. 
God is still in the business of creating. Can you say amen? Here's the thing. When you talk about creation to people, people will relate that into the beginning, in the far past time. And they forget that creation is an attribute of God because he is still creator. He didn't lose his capacities of creating and giving life after the creation of the earth. He didn't. He, he, he wasn't a creator. He is a creator. It's in him. It's his nature. His power. You remember that one? His intelligence that made things exist. Okay? And once you bring that into the minds of people, you can also read Psalms 51 verse 10. Can you go there with me, please? Psalms 51 and verse 10. Amen. Psalms 51 verse 10 says the following. How does it start? Come on. How does it start? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Beloved, please understand this. God is still in the business of creating. That's why the Sabbath could never be abolished. Never. Because it's not just a symbol of what God has done back there, but it's still a symbol of what God is still going to do and accomplish in our lives. Because he didn't finish creating. He still is the creator. And our expectation, our desire, is exactly for him to be able still to create a new heart in us, able to worship him fully. Fully. Beloved, how does it put it? In what stand does this put the Sabbath commandment? You remember I told you that there's two things that Satan really hates about this topic. First of all, as I told you before, it puts Satan at the level of a creature. He was, is, and will always be a creature until the end that he will die completely. He will never and never was a creator. He wanted to be. I will be like the Most High. Never. Why? Because he's only a creature. And a creature cannot become a creator. Nor the creator can become a creature. That's why he tried to make that deal with Jesus Christ. You remember that? But it could never work. But he's, because he's just a creature. And Jesus was the creator. And only by that action he was already trying to exchange the roles. The authority. But he couldn't. But he couldn't. Secondly, this brings to focus our need to let him create in us a new heart completely surrendered to him. And this process is called sanctification. What do you think? The Sabbath is important? Of course it is. Of course it is. And once you bring these to the, this perspective to people that tell us that we are still too attached to the laws of the Old Testament, that we are still too attached to Moses and the people of Israel and the Jews and so on, done, 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 people will start looking at you in a different perspective because you are actually honoring Jesus Christ in the, in the fourth commandment. In the fourth commandment. Just before 
our break, let me just tell you a quick, a quick uh, experience that I had just a few months ago, actually, in Geneva, Switzerland. I was um, invited by a friend of mine. He's a, a Protestant pastor. And he invited me to, to come to his congregation and to tell him uh, a little bit about um, the differences that we have in our, in our beliefs and in our doctrines. Of course, one of the topics that I had to choose was just a Sabbath day, obviously. And I tried to present it exactly in the same perspective, that honoring, honoring the Sabbath day was honoring Jesus Christ because he is our creator, and so on, dun, 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 dun. Interesting enough is the fact that there was a lot of people that were surprised by this, and they started shooting all the kind of questions that you can imagine. And one of the questions was exactly, well, in that case, who, who changed the day? Because I thought I was keeping the Sabbath, but I, I'm actually coming to church on Sunday. Does that make a difference? Does that mean that I'm wrong? And I said, well, I'm sorry to tell you, but that's what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that if you come to the knowledge of something that the Lord actually wants you to do, you do it. You do it. As you can imagine, there was a little bit of an electrical atmosphere at that moment. And people were starting to look at their pastor like saying, where are you leading us actually? Because we never knew, we never heard anything like this. And I remember that this good friend of mine, at least he was a good friend of mine back then yet, so I hope he still is. But... At that moment, uh, I could see that he was becoming very nervous. And finally, I, I sat, he stood up, and people were just shooting all the kind of questions that you can imagine to him. Finally, beloved, this was just a few months ago. Finally, he just said, you know, stop it. I recognize what this pastor said. It's absolutely true. There is nothing in the Bible for us to keep Sunday. There's no order, no commandment, nothing, nothing. In fact, it's an inheritance that you received from the Roman Empire. So there's nothing in the Bible ordering us to keep Sunday. And you can imagine the, the, the condition of the, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the people that were there. What? But, and here's the, there's all this but. But we try to do our best. No, grasp this, honestly. But we try to do our best to honor Jesus Christ on Sunday because he resurrected on Sunday, even if there's no commandment for that. Did you get that? Did you get that? We try to do our best. Beloved, salvation has nothing to do with our own efforts. People will come to you and tell you, it's not by works that you are going to be saved. Yes, of course. That's why we keep the Sabbath day. Because it was created by God himself. Can you say amen to that? Amen. We do not keep the Sabbath in order to be saved. We keep the Sabbath because we were saved by Jesus Christ. He accomplished that salvation in the cross for us, beloved. If you love me, you keep my commandments. It's a straight, it's a straight, um, I would say, a straight condition of someone that truly, from the bottom of their hearts, loves the Lord. He created me. And because of that, I keep the Sabbath day. Now, beloved, we're going to have a break of five minutes, okay? And in the second part, we're going to see the four major attacks that people will come to you and express to you, okay? And we'll see how we can actually answer to, the, to those four attacks, okay? So I hope you all come back, okay? Let's see five minutes, okay, uh, at 11.05, okay? I'll be gentle, 
All right? See you in a second then. All right, let's give a start to our second part of uh, our workshop here, okay? And are you sitting comfortably? Yes? Okay, in that case, let's stand and have, let's have a word of prayer, all right? <laughs> Dear Father in heaven, once again, we thank you for all the things that you have been showing to us, Lord. The importance of connecting to you in the right perspective, looking at you, seeing the right identity that you want us also to have in us. Help us also to see the blueprint of your creative power in our lives, in our hearts, Lord, because we understand the importance of it, Lord. Thank you for doing all that work in our lives, Lord. And thank you once again for manifesting through your Holy Spirit in this place, because we invite you to enter in our hearts and minds, Lord, and help us to see the presence of our, your Son, Jesus Christ, because we pray all these things in the name of the one that never fails, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 All right. Now, in the first part, we just saw, just um, summarizing, our salvation depends on the creative power of which the Sabbath is a memorial. And this is salvation and creation being tied together in one single commandment. Okay? The only one that says, remember. Now, just before we even enter to these four um, uh, attacks that the Sabbath usually uh, receives, I want you just to notice this quick thing, okay? The Sabbath commandment was given twice in the Bible. You know that. The first time we found it in the Ten Commandment, Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11. Where God says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, and verse 11, because I am the creator, basically. Okay? So the first time that the Sabbath was given was in order for us to remember that God is our creator and we are his creation. But there's a second time that the Sabbath commandment is actually given to us. You know what it is? Deuteronomy. Come there with me. Deuteronomy chapter 5. And pay attention to this one, okay? Because this is something that me personal, for me personally uh, changed a lot, even my, my perspective on the fourth commandment. Okay? So the first time the Sabbath commandment was given, it was a memorial for the creation. And now the secondly is also a memorial for redemption. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 to 15. Notice the details in these, in these texts, okay? 12 to 15, amen? Keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it. Any difference from the first time? What, what, what is the difference so far? The reminder. Remember. The word remember is not there. We'll see why just in a second, okay? So, verse 12. And this, keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, 
Verse 14, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you nor your son or your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, your ox, your ass, nor any of the cattle, nor thy stranger that is within your gates, that thy manservant and thy maidservant may rest as well as, as you. Okay? So, interesting the perspective now that we have in this second time that the commandment is given. You are also supposed to influence others in order to keep the Sabbath as you are keeping. Okay? But still the word remember is not there. Continuing. Verse 15. And? And what? What do you have there? And? Are you there with me? Deuteronomy chapter 5 and now verse 15. Okay? And? Remember. Finally the word remember comes up. But instead of coming in the beginning, it comes in the end. And remember that you were a servant in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out and through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. Now, the interesting thing is this. We know that the redemption of Israel foreshadows our redemption from bondage. Because the Passover that was a sign of redemption points towards the redemption in Jesus Christ who is our Passover. Amen? Did you understand that? Let me repeat. What we see here is that the commandment the second time is being given as a remembrance, as a memorial of redemption. Okay? And we know that the redemption of Israel foreshadows our redemption from bondage because the Passover that was a sign of redemption points towards the redemption, yes, of, in Jesus Christ, who is our Passover. Amen? Okay? Now, beloved, at this point we should be able to understand that the Sabbath is indeed a symbol of God's grace and redemption. A symbol that cannot and could never be abolished exactly because of that. Because of first creation and because of the creation in Jesus Christ. The one who is in Christ, he is a new creature. Amen? All right. Now, at this point, I would like to bring out four points or four objections that I found more frequently when presenting the Sabbath commandment um, to people, okay? Attack number one that I have here is that people come to you and they'll tell you that the Sabbath was made for the Jews. We already made this quite obvious because people call it the Sabbath of the Jews, but the Bible never calls it that way. Even the commandment itself says it's the Sabbath of the Lord, the Lord your God, okay? So at that point, that should already be quite uh, quite uh, clear. Now, a second point here is that the fact that Luke, the evangelist, he was a Gentile that many times differentiated what belonged only specifically to the Jews. So that's why in the, in the book of Acts specifically, you find many expressions like the nation of the Jews, the people of the Jews, the land of the Jews, the synagogue of the Jews. But notice that he never refers to the Sabbath of the Jews. Although that he mentioned the Sabbath repeatedly, as you know. 
So even if he wanted to follow the same criteria, if the Sabbath was no longer valid, why in the world would he say all the things that belong to the Jews and the Sabbath? He never points it out or identifies it or brands it as being something that belongs to the Jews. Never, okay? Also, Jesus clearly taught that the Sabbath was made for men, and we saw that, okay? That's Mark chapter 2 and verse 27. Jesus uses clearly a generic sense in this declaration, which makes much, much sense because if you remember, the Sabbath was kept first by God himself back at the creation account, okay? And back there, there were no Jews as well as there was no sin. And please underline this part here. When the Sabbath was created by God, there was no what? No sin. So at this point, you can already say that I keep the Sabbath because my Creator has done such first. Actually, it is the same principle that you find, for example, in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19. I love God because He loved us first. Okay? It's exactly the same principle that you find there. Now, the problem is that this argument has led many to believe that the Sabbath existed only for a limited period of time following the creation. And this is not a fact. Actually, the Sabbath could never be what some people will tell you as a type or a shadow. Okay? Let me ask you. Why is it that the Sabbath could never be a type or a shadow for, of salvation uh, in, that, in that same perspective? Why? Why? Can you speak just a little bit louder? Exactly, exactly. Once again, do you see why I told you to underline that, that, that point there? Yes. Why is it that the Sabbath can never, the Sabbath as the, as the fourth commandment presents it, can never be considered a type or a shadow? Okay? Why? And you just said, can you repeat that one? After seen, absolutely, okay? So certain shadows and typical observances were instituted as a result of sin. But the Sabbath was much before sin. The Sabbath was created before sin ever existed. And inter interesting uh, enough is that before sin, you have two major institutions that are created, right? The Sabbath day and what was the other one? Marriage. Sorry? Marriage. marriage. Was marriage uh, a shadow or a type of something? Or is something that is still valid in our days? Well, it should be valid, but unfortunately we know what's going on, right? But still, it were, there were two institutions that are still valid in our days. If marriage is not abolished, why should the Sabbath be? You understand what I'm saying? Okay? So, coming back to this point of the shadows and these observances, okay? They were instituted as a result of sin and pointed forward to the deliverance from sin. Such were the sacrifices employed by, uh, to, to symbolize the death of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And there would have been no animal sacrifices had there been no sin. Okay? These offerings were abolished when Christ died on the cross because the types had met their fulfillment. Okay? But no shadow existed before sin entered this world. And this is something that you should make clear in the minds of people. Okay? 
No shadow existed before sin entered this world. Therefore, the Sabbath could not be included in the ceremonial law of types and shadows. Okay? That's why Jesus says with the most clarity possible, okay, in Matthew 5, 17 and 18, that he came not to destroy, but to, but to what? To fulfill, to accomplish, right? L.G. White, she says the following. That's in the, in, the, in the devotional book, Lift Him Up, page 53. There are those who hold the Sabbath as given only for the Jews. But God never said this. He committed the Sabbath to his people, Israel, as a sacred trust. But the very fact that the, desert, uh, that the desert of Sinai and not Palestine was the place selected by him in which to proclaim his law reveals that he intended it for all mankind. The law of Ten Commandments is as old as creation. Therefore, the Sabbath institution has no special relation to the Jews any more than to all other created beings. God has made the observance of the Sabbath obligatory upon all men. The Sabbath, it is plainly stated, was made for what? For man. Okay? Now, attack number two. Just keep any day in the Sabbath. Okay? Have you also found people that tell you that? I can just keep one day during the week. Okay. All right. I can just keep one day during the week, doesn't matter what, as long as I just keep one day to dedicate to Him. Doesn't matter if it's Monday, Friday, Wednesday, or Sunday, as long as I keep one day, it's good enough. Now, these might seem very simple, but it's an interesting objection, and it has more power in it than we might think. Okay? You see, by this argument, I believe Satan is preparing the world to accept a substitute for the Sabbath that God has commanded. And once you actually start adapting things, as we saw actually previously, once you think or you believe that you can actually adapt things your own way, you can actually throw the whole Bible out because you can adapt everything and even salvation itself. Are you following so this is, the, this is why, beloved, the Sabbath represents, once again, the authority mark, the seal of God, actually giving value to the Ten Commandments itself. Because what value does it have, you know, just to have a bunch of laws, you know, a bunch of rules, and I signed under it? You know what is the difference between having a law that is signed by me and a law that is signed by God? You know what, what the difference is? A law that is signed by me becomes mere opinion. A law that is signed by God is an eternal rule. Do you follow? And if I sign that same law, and if it becomes mere opinion, it's something that you can, you, you can discuss about, you know? Well, that's your vision. That's what you think. That's your opinion. And the opinions, you know, that can be discussed, you know? You can exchange those same opinions. But once the law had been signed by God in the fourth commandment, beloved, it becomes an eternal rule. Okay? Now, there is not one line that was ambiguous or mysterious about that law. Sinners and Christians, educated and uneducated, have no problem understanding the simple, clear words of the Ten Commandments. God meant what he said, and he said what he meant. No one has tried to void that law as too complicated to, to, to comprehend. 
So does it make a difference to keep the Sabbath? Obviously. Why? Because the Sabbath promises a blessing. Is it important to have the blessing upon that day? Yes or no? Obviously. That's why, for example, parents, they pray for their, ch their children. Lord, please bless my children. It, it's because it makes a whole difference. The whole, whole difference. Now, please understand this. Keeping the Sabbath is not just a question of taking a few hours of rest. And I really want you to understand this. Okay? Keeping the Sabbath is not just a question of taking a few hours of rest, but a question of faithfulness. Okay? A question of saying, if I decide to do God's will or my own will, and in the end times, beloved, this will be a decisive point. That's why, first of all, even before you present the Sabbath to someone, be sure that yourself, you are sure of what you are about to present. Not just because you know about it, not just in a, an academic way, but by experience yourself. Now think about this this way. When Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, and they ate of the fruit, was that a sin? Yes or no? Yes, but is there, is there anything wrong just to, you know, to pick up a fruit and all that and to eat it? Yes or no? No. But it became sin because God said so. Because God had authority to tell them exactly what they shouldn't do. So the authority of God here makes the whole difference. Notice this. L. G. White, lift him up once again in page 53. As the tree of knowledge was the task of Adam's obedience, so the fourth commandment is the task that God has given to prove the loyalty of all his people. The experience of Adam is to be a warning to us so long as time shall last. Did you follow that? Did you, did you follow that? Notice, let me repeat, the experience of Adam is to be a warning to us so long as time shall last. Why? Because people will tell you, you know, it's not such a big thing. You can break the law. You know? Unless you break the law, you won't be able to buy or to sell, so on and on and on and on. So it's not such a big thing. And people will tell you, you know, um, it's more important for you to, to feed yourself well, you know? And the Lord understands. He's a good Lord. God is love. Have you ever heard that one? God is love. That's why He brands His own children for them to know who God is, who they are, and what God expects from them. And people, you know, they are thirsty to hear these things, you know. They didn't understand so far. And people, the world needs to know. And that's in the same way that the, the Sabbath commandment says, remember, you should be a reminder to the world of who God is. Of who God is. Amen? Attack number three. We already saw a little bit this one. Keep Sunday in honor of the resurrection. Now, obviously many wonderful events happened in different days of the week, even in the Bible, and the Bible records those, okay? But we have no command to keep them holy. Let me give you an example. Jesus died on what day of the week? Friday. Are you sure? Yes? Was it on Friday? Mm -hmm. Okay. Where is the command for us to keep Friday? Let me ask you another, another question. 
What was more important? Was it just the death of, of, of Christ or the resurrection? Or both actually have to coexist together? Both, obviously. So why should I keep Sunday and not Friday? You see? So it doesn't make any sense. Well, let's honor the fact that Jesus resurrected. Well, it was much more painful to die than to be resurrected. Don't you agree with me? So honoring Christ on Sunday doesn't make sense because he died on a Friday. So let's keep the, the three days of the week. That would be good, wouldn't it? Forget I said it. So many wonderful events occurred on certain days of the week, but we have no command to keep them holy. Okay? And once again, underline to people that the most significant event in all of recorded history was exactly the sacrifice of Jesus dying on that Friday. Okay? It marks the moment that my death sentence was commuted and my salvation assured in Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, there is, of course, a memorial of resurrection. Don't we have a memorial of resurrection in the Bible? Yes or no? Yes or no? You don't remember? You don't remember? Beloved, is there something that the Lord asks us to do that is also a symbol of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Okay, all right. Baptism, of course, right? Does the Bible talk about it? Yes, of course. Let's go, for example, to Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. Okay? Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, all right? And I'm showing you, showing you this because people probably will tell you that, oh, you, you just disrespect something that is so important like the resurrection of Jesus. No, of course not. Actually, it's so important as the death of Jesus Christ. And because of that, we are buried with him. Romans 6, verse 4. Amen? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Amen? So, beloved, yes, we honor the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but not like someone else thinks we should, but like the Bible asks us to. And that makes a whole difference. We keep the Sabbath not because someone told us just to do it, but because the Bible says so. It does, says the Lord. Amen? Okay? So show people that you are not disrespecting the fact that Jesus died and resurrected on a Sunday even. But actually, you remember so much of it but that you were baptized in Jesus Christ, okay? As a symbol exactly of what Jesus went, went through uh, while he was here. Now, the fourth and last attack that I wanted to present to you, um, I have to be very careful in the way that I'm going to say this, okay? I found it very interesting the way that some people actually put it, because it's been quite frequently, I don't know in the places where you come from, okay? But for me personally, it's been something that people actually question a lot, and I have to say it with a burden in my heart that unfortunately is something that is starting to, creeping, to creep inside of our churches. And I say this once again with a burden in my heart, because it's once again a way that Satan has found to destroy the theology that was given to the remnant people, the Seventh-day Adventist Church. 
And I'm talking about the theistic evolution. Have you ever found someone that actually discussed with you a little bit about this? Yes, okay. Now, beloved, I want to tell you in advance that Bible and evolution, there's no way that you can tie them both together. Can you say amen to that? There's no way. There's no way. Once you try to put evolution and Bible mixed up together, you just throw away the Bible because everything becomes symbolic. Everything becomes just an image or a, or a shadow or, 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 or a symbol of something. It doesn't matter. You can just throw away the Bible because everything that you're going to say right now is going to be questionable. If you boldly declare that God created the heavens and the earth in six literal 24-hour days just about 6,000 years ago, in, the, in many cultures, in many societies today, you'll be probably laughed at and accused of also believing that the earth is flat. By the way, the Bible doesn't say that the earth is flat because Isaiah chapter 14, verses 21 and 22, talks about the circle of the earth. So that's just, you know, something that they bring out from their, their minds. Now, a few years ago, I was making a research um, exactly about, about these, and I wanted to, to go just with the Bible. And I came up with, with a book that was written by a guy that you probably know. Uh, he's called Ratzinger. You know who he is? Nobody knows him. Oh, praise the Lord. Oh, okay. Sorry. Now, Ratzinger, I want to tell you already that he wrote many theological books. He's a brilliant mind, a very deep theologian, and he wrote a book called In the Beginning. Okay? Anyone here read that book? Nobody? All right. It's a book called In the Beginning. I'm not suggesting that you should read it, actually, on the contrary. Now, in that same book, the actual Pope, Ratzinger, he, he's in a very able way, he, in a very smart, intelligent way, he kind of ties evolution and Christianity, basically saying that the two can and should coexist together, that one thing doesn't make the other void or invalid. Are you following? Are you following? Now, this is the head of the Roman Catholic Church, all right, that is saying this. Now, of many biblical evidences that God uh, gave us, that he did not use evolution, I want just to look at the few, because I believe this is something that we shouldn't even have to look at, but actually it's, we're going to do that in order for you to understand on how you can, for example, present it to, to some people, okay? A small example, Adam and Eve, okay? Let's examine whether God created Adam and Eve through evolution, if we believe that, if we try to tie that together with, with, the, with the, 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 the text in the Bible, we need to first examine just how evolution says that Adam and Eve would have been created and then compare to how the Bible says, thus says the Lord, Adam and Eve were created to see if they both can logically, using logic, if they can be reconciled. Okay? Now, according to evolution, according to evolution, Hominids would have been evolving over millions of years, getting a little bit more, um, yeah, a little bit more human as time goes by. Are you following? Okay. 
over the years until eventually the first fully human man was born. And that's when God would have said, okay, we now have a man, a woman, and I'll call him Adam. What? That means that through a process of evolution, okay, monkeys and so on, I'm not a scientist, finally we have Adam. Aha, finally, I'll call you Adam. What about all the others? What were their names? Monkeys? Okay, are you following the problem here? Let's now compare that to how God told Moses that he created Adam in Genesis, Genesis 2 and 7. You know that one, okay? The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. That's what the Bible says, very plainly. Now, here's where, where a little simple logic is needed, okay? is required for us to understand this. How can anyone honestly interpret Adam being formed from the dust of the ground to mean that Adam was conceived and born of a part human, part monkey, hominid mother? How is it possible? It doesn't make any sense. There's a lot of things that I could tell you about this, but anyway, let's jump, for sake of time, let's just jump to, 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 to this point also. There's the issue of Eve also, when we talk about the theistic evolution. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, 21 and 22, that Eve was created by God, putting Adam into a deep sleep, taking out one of, her, of his ribs and creating Eve from that same rib, okay? Now, this has incredible spiritual significance, as we just saw a while ago, okay, throughout the rest of the Bible with regards to marriage, okay? Because by making woman from man, she, she was to Adam, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. That's what actually Genesis says in chapter 2, verse 23, okay? Now, God used the way he created Eve to, ex to establish marriage as a bond between man and woman who would become one flesh, Okay? Follow this. Woman came out of man, so when a woman and man are, ma are married, the two become one, one flesh. Okay? Jesus even reiterates this creation account and its significance in Matthew chapter 19. Let's go there. Come, come there just quickly with me. Okay? Matthew chapter 19. Let's actually read also verse 4, okay? Bear with me. Amen? Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 and 5. And this is just a, a small example, beloved. He answered and said unto them. We're talking about Jesus here, okay? Jesus is the one who is answering and saying this. Have you not read... That he which made them at the beginning made them male and female. Verse 5. And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Did you follow that? What is Jesus saying here? Don't you know what is written? Didn't you read before? Question. Didn't you read it where? What is he quoting here? What is he quoting? The book of Genesis, the creation account. Do you follow? Now, beloved, this is actually where the, the rubber hits the road, you know? 
whether you believe in the Bible or you don't. Let's make it even more plain. If you are a Christian, you follow Jesus Christ and you believe in the same things that Jesus believed. Did Jesus believe in the creation account, yes or no? Did it make it very plain? Haven't you read, don't you know what, you, what, what was written since the beginning? Beloved, that's why I need to tell you very plainly, don't take it wrong, but I need to be honest with the Bible. Being a Christian and an evolutionist at the same time doesn't clue. Because Jesus himself, he believed in the creation account. Beloved, I ask you from the bottom of my heart, beloved, don't be afraid actually to make a stand about this. Exactly in order to stop the same idea to come inside our churches, beloved. Because once it comes inside our church, what are we talking about? About the Sabbath. It will destroy completely the foundations and the identity, what makes us different, of the remnant people, the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And once it comes inside and destroys all of our basic points and foundations, beloved, what do you have? You know what you have? No identity. And the enemy will accomplish what he tried to do in the life of Jesus Christ. If you are the son of man. If you are really the son of God, I mean. You understand? And the enemy is trying to creep in with the same ideas in order to destroy our and your and mine identity. And we need to understand this, beloved. We are followers of Jesus Christ. And that's why we keep the Sabbath. And Jesus Christ was a believer of the book of Genesis. Chapters 1, 2, 3, and so on. He was a believer of what the Bible says that happened in the beginning. So for me to say, I believe in Jesus Christ. I just don't believe in what he says. It doesn't make any sense. Either we believe or we don't. And Jesus Christ was a believer and was telling others, actually, haven't you read? Actually, he's saying, you should read it. You should believe it. In what the Bible says right there in the beginning. Beloved, I, I take it very at heart, as you see, but I believe that this is something that really is important. If you believe Genesis can be interpreted to say that God used evolution, then you might as well throw out the whole Bible. After all, if man was made from the dust of the ground, can be interpreted as man was born from part monkey part parents. Or if woman was created from man's ribs, can be interpreted as women grew up the child of part monkey parents. Or if God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life and became a living being, can be interpreted as man was already a living being before he even developed embryonic nostrils to breathe into. Then why believe anything that the Bible has to say at all? Do you see the danger here, beloved? Honestly. In that case, actually, we can even question, why should we believe Moses, David, Solomon, and so on, dun, 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 dun. And the bottom line, of course, is, why should we believe Jesus? Because if Jesus was, you know, so ignorant about these things that he even tells you, you know, you should believe in the creation account, why should you believe him? I'd just rather go with Richard Dawkins and company, and that's it, right? By the way, Eden was a real place, wasn't it? Actually, you find in, in, the, in the description of Genesis chapter 2, 10 and, and, uh, until 14, even the rivers that were there. Amazing. 
How can you reinterpret actually what is, is in such a detail described right there? Now, I want to finish with this point. We saw that the creation is also a symbol for salvation. That God did not lose his capacities of creating. Now, one day when Jesus returns, and that is our greatest hope, amen? amen. When Jesus returns, my grandfather, for example, that died several years ago, how is he going to call him out of the grave? Because at this moment, nearly nothing is there. Is he going to call out every single molecule of dust in order to build him up together? That's a long word. Is, is that what he's going to do? Or is he going to recreate a new body for him? What does the Bible tell us? Are you following? Come with me to, to, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, okay? We know this one, but let's read it together once again. 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. Amen? All right. Beautiful text. I can still hear the pages turning, and I really want you to grasp this, okay? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. Look at what the Bible says. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Beloved, the time period that we see here could never represent millions of years or even thousands of years. Never. It's impossible. In fact, the Bible tells us how much time this procedure will take. The time from Jesus calling out from the graves those who died in Christ until the fact that they really come out, how much time is that going to take? Do you know? Do you know? Nobody. Come with me. The Bible tells us. Give us the answer. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I mean 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm sorry. 15. How great is our God. Look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 52. You know this one. In a moment. Amen? Are we there together? In a moment. How much is a moment? In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Amen. Beloved, are we talking about a God that needs millions of years in order to create or to recreate? Of course not. How long is God going to need? How much time is he going to need in order to recreate those that died in Christ? A moment. A twinkling of an eye. How much time is a twinkling of an eye? That's it. 
Okay? It's just as quick as that. Beloved, that's why I try to make you understand that the Sabbath commandment is a memorial of what happened and also of what is going to happen in the future, beloved. And this theistic evolution that is creeping inside our churches, beloved, cannot subsist with the Sabbath commandment and with our belief in the powerful, great Creator God. Impossible! It's impossible. And the Bible makes it so clear, beloved. That's why today we have two choices. Either we believe that God is not really powerful enough to accomplish what He promised in your life and in my life, of which the Sabbath is a memorial, or we go just with the flow that believes that, well, you know, there's too many proofs. Forget about that word, proofs. Yes, right. About these supposed so-called proofs that there was, in fact, an evolution. Are you believing what the Bible says? And beloved, I prefer to go with the Bible. I don't know about you. You have two options. Either you go with what the Bible says in a very clear way, or you try to, see, to, 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 try to tie the, the teaching of the world with what the Bible says. And there is no way, I underline this one, there is no way that you can actually tie both teachings together. It's absolutely impossible, as you saw. Impossible. It's absolutely impossible. That's why the Sabbath, beloved, is tied even as a symbol, a memorial of the salvation in Jesus Christ. Because we are anxiously expecting the moment when Jesus Christ returns and calls us up to go with Him. Can you say amen? amen? It's a symbol, a powerful symbol of what Jesus is about to accomplish, beloved. And part of that preparation is tied with the Sabbath commandment. Beloved, my personal belief is that the world needs urgently to hear about this. To hear that the Lord of the Sabbath is Jesus Christ. But tell them why. Because He is the Creator. Because He is the Redeemer. And He's the one who is going to come back to get us home. And, beloved, as I told you also in the beginning, as the Sabbath is a mark, a memorial for people to, for us to remind that God is our Creator, let the Lord make of you also that reminder of what God is and what you are. You have an identity. God has branded you from the beginning with that same identity. And that's why today in the world we see so many people trying to, to fill in the void that they have in their hearts with so many things. They will never do it. They will never accomplish anything with that. You know why? Because it's a space that has the shape of God, our Creator, our creator only and alone. And He's the only one that can fill in that same space. Do you feel more encouraged to share the Sabbath with others? Yes or no? Amen. Let's stand. Let's have a word of prayer, okay? And I'll say right here in the end, if you want to come and have any questions, please, please feel free, okay? Let's stand. Dear Father in heaven, 
We understand that the days that we are living are tremendous, difficult days. But even though, Lord, we turn ourselves up to you, remembering ourselves that we can do all things through the one that strengthens us, Lord. And Father, because you are our creator, because you have branded us exactly with that same identity that we belong to you, Lord, we turn ourselves to you, O Lord, to whom should we turn? At this moment, you know the struggles that every single one of us here is going through, Lord. You know the worries that we carry in our hearts. Maybe a, 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 an issue that has to do with the job. An issue that has to do with the family, Lord. But Father, help us to be faithful until the end and to be counted among those that will call you, Lord, and will hear your voice calling them by their own name, Lord. Father, once again, we thank you and we praise you for everything that you have accomplished in the past, but especially for what you are about to accomplish still in the near future, Lord. We expect to see you coming, Lord. We expect to see you making the difference in our lives, Lord. So at this moment, Lord, as the Spirit of Prophecy says, make of us your personal, exclusive property in whom the enemy has nothing to touch. Lord, once again, brand us with your Holy Spirit. Seal us for eternity, because we belong to you now and forever in Jesus Christ. Let everyone say, Amen. God bless everyone. This message was recorded through a partnership between GYC and GYC Europe at the 2012 conference in Linz, Austria. GYC are supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church seeks to inspire young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.